Turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 11. If you're a visitor this morning, you're joining us right in the middle of the story uh, of the book of Samuel, right at the beginning of uh, the reign of King Saul. You can find our story on page 297 if you want to take the blue Bible from the pew in front of you. If you didn't bring one, and uh, just so we're all clear, some of us, I don't want to take for granted, may have never looked into a Bible, especially in this digital age. It may be kind of strange to turn on a page in the Bible, but the large numbers are chapter numbers. The small numbers are the verse numbers. So when I say, look with me at verse 10, that means look for the little number 10. And I actually want you to look there. Because there's something in that verse, there's something in this text, in this story, that I want you to see, that I want you to understand, that I want you to treasure, and I want you to believe. Because it's not in believing my words, it's not in believing in Pastor Chad's opinions and thoughts. It's when you believe the words of this book, that you find salvation through our King, Jesus Christ. So, I would encourage you, whether you're a member or a visitor, a student or a child, to get your Bible out, lay it in your lap, so you can follow along. In John 5, Jesus chastises the teachers of the law. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. We're not going to make that mistake this morning. We are going to search the Scriptures and we are going to find eternal life and it's going to be found in the person of Jesus Christ and we're going to repent and believe in Him. So let's pray together and then we'll look at the Scriptures. Holy Spirit, I ask you would prepare our hearts to see Jesus, to confess our sins, to believe in our King, to believe the impossible that He is our salvation, that we would fight the fight of repentance and persevere in hope. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I'll make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite that we may send messengers throughout all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they're weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. And he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. And the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, 
Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have deliverance. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. The next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, in the morning watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. And the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. You may be seated. When I moved to South Carolina six years ago, it was actually six years ago today was my uh, first Sunday here at College Street Baptist Church. And moving here, being from North Carolina, I thought, how different can the other Carolina really be? Very. Among many differences, for instance, here barbecue is yellow for some reason and not reddish brown like it's supposed to be. I've also found here that no one seems to care about college basketball. And having come from North Carolina, that's about all I care about. Those of you who visit my office will find, uh, I've heard people say, you know, the devil's in that church. Well, if you look in my office, you actually will see a blue devil up there on on my desk. Well, the thing is, and I'm going to explain this to you as though you have no clue about college basketball. I'm not going to make you raise hands of who here has even heard of March Madness before. But there's this thing at the end of the college basketball season called March Madness. It's a tournament, and it lasts all month long. And then at the end, they have a championship. And there's this really funny kind of tradition they do after the championship while the confetti's falling. They show this highlight reel of all the fun things that have happened and the greatest plays, greatest moments. And they play this really cheesy 80s song called One Shining Moment. And I'm not going to sing it for you this morning, but it's like, yeah, I'm not going to sing it. But they do this whole montage, one shining moment. Well, if we were to make a video montage of all the greatest hits and all the greatest moments from the life of Saul, and we were to set it to the theme, one shining moment, this is it. Saul literally has one shining moment. When we read chapter 12... Samuel gives his farewell address. Chapter 13, Saul loses the kingdom. This is his one shining moment. But the thing is, even though Saul is going to, he's going to run off the rails, he's going to become an enemy of God's Messiah and all these things, even as Saul has that one glimmering moment where it seems like he may just do something good for the people of God, We get a little glimmer of the greatness that could be the king of Israel. A spirit-filled, obedient king of Israel could become a mighty savior for the people of God. That's what we see. 
Well, how do we experience the salvation of the king? We have four simple one-word encouragements from our story this morning, and I'm going to give them to you before we get started. It's this. Confess, believe, repent, and hope. Confess, believe, repent, and hope. That's what happens with the people of God in this story this morning. So in chapter 10, just last week, we had a regime change. Samuel had judged the people for decades. Things had been going well, prospering. The people had been sort of obeying God. But then we had this whole change of power where Samuel has anointed Saul and he is crowned the king of Israel. Well, naturally, as what often happens in international politics, you have a change of power, you have a change of regime, you have a new king. All the other kings start to flex their muscles and act up a little bit. Because they want to they feel this guy out. Is this guy going to be as strong or weaker than the guy before? And that's exactly what happens in verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh-Gilead said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us and we will serve you. So this rival king of the Ammonites decides he's going to test this new king, Saul. And he decides to lay siege to one of the outlying cities of the kingdom. A town that in fact is even across the Jordan River. So it's far away from, the, from where Saul is living. In fact, it's a city that used to belong to the Ammonites. And he comes around and he, he doesn't attack the city. He doesn't launch a single missile against the city. He doesn't come banging on the doors. He simply sets up camp right next door to the city. And all the men of Jabesh Gilead immediately give up before there's even a fight. This is what it says. All the men of Jabesh Gilead said to Nahash literally, Make a covenant with us and we will become your slaves. A lot of courage in these men. (laughs) Just the mere threat of this rival king, and they immediately give up the whole game. They're willing to abandon their king more than that. They're willing to abandon the Lord, because you can't have more than one covenant Lord. You have either you serve Yahweh or you serve someone else. And here they are saying, Don't attack us. We'll give up our king. We'll give up the Lord who rescued us out of slavery, who brought us out of the wilderness, who gave us this promised land, who conquered all of our enemies and saved us out of every distress and terror. We'll throw him aside. We'll make a covenant with you. We will be your slaves. kids are sick this morning, so have a little patience with them. We didn't want to send them to children's church and get everybody else sick. Alright, well, you guys are not going to believe this, but the name Nahash means serpent. I mean, that's the word. That's, that's the word for serpent, is Nahash. So listen to what's being said here. All the men of Jabesh said to the serpent, Make a covenant with us, 
and we will be your slaves. I mean, it's not even a subtle picture that's being painted here, is it? (laughs) Scottish pastor W.G. Blakey draws out the truth. How often do men virtually say to the devil, make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. How often do men virtually give themselves over to serve a vile master, to lead evil or at last careless lives, to indulge in sinful habits which they know they should overcome, but which they are too indolent and self-indulgent to resist. Men and women with strong proclivities to sin may for a time resist, but they get tired of the battle. They long for an easier life. And they say in their hearts, We will no longer resist you. We will be your servants. They are willing to make peace with the Ammonites because they are wearied of fighting anything for a quiet life. They surrender to the enemy. They are willing to serve sin because they will not surrender the ease and pleasures of sin. But the bad news is that sin is a bad master. His wages are terrible to think of. What were the terms? That Nahash said, on this one condition, I'll make you my slaves. Let me gouge out your right eye. And so bring disgrace on all of Israel. You see, it wasn't enough for this rival king, Nahash, to reclaim the town of Jabesh Gilead for himself. He was going to mutilate its inhabitants. Gouge out the right eye of every person in the city so that every person in all of Israel would know just how worthless of a king Saul really was. He can't save you. Look what we've done to these guys. This whole town. That is what he was angling for. Reproach, disgrace. I wonder how many of us, when we're being tempted into sin, realize what Satan, what the serpent is really angling for. It's not really about you. It's about bringing disgrace and reproach upon the name of our king. That's why he's tempting you. That's why he does it. When we give in so easily, when we make a covenant with the serpent, when we, the people of God, act like slaves of sin instead of slaves of righteousness... Do we realize what Satan's endgame really is? When I worked at UPS up in Louisville, we had to go through airport security every, every day. Um, and we had to ride a 10 or 15 minute shuttle into our workstation at the airport. Um, and I was always running late because I was in seminary. I'd be leaving class and hurrying across town trying to make it to my, my job on time. And the problem was that the people who ran security were really slow at their job. And so you'd be standing there in line trying to get through security, and you'd see the shuttle pull up, everyone get on, and they'd honk their horn and they'd leave before you'd made it through, and you'd end up getting late to work. Well, there was a shortcut that if you weren't carrying any bags and you didn't have anything metal in your pockets, you could actually go through the side, skip the guard shack, go through a metal detector on the side, and if the buzzer didn't go off, you're on your way. One day I was trying to get through with my lunchbox and it set the alarm off. And I realized, clever person that I was, that if I set my lunchbox inside the metal detector, went back out, rescanned my badge, I could walk through and make it through the turnstile. Well, it happened 
after that, I could just do it every time. And so for probably dozens of times, I was able to hurry through, get to work. I was cheating the security. Dozens of times I did it without any consequences. And then one time, I got caught. And we're talking about serious, like, TSA government security that I was breaching. And so they dragged me in. They don't know whether I'm trying to sneak a bomb or a knife or something onto the property. My boss was notified. All of the employees who worked for me found out, all my coworkers. I was fired for a week. There was one word for what I experienced in that moment and the ensuing days. Disgrace. Reproach. It seemed easy. It seemed harmless. But at just the right time, Satan knew how to take out the right eye. I could have lost my job. I, could, I had a wife. I had a son on the way. I wasn't thinking about that. I was just trying to hurry to work. Here I was, a pastor in training. Everyone knew that I was in seminary. And then it comes to find out I've been sneaking my lunchbox through security. It's absurd. Disgrace. Temptation is not really about us. Satan couldn't care less. He would rather us just rot in hell. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Anything Satan can do in our lives to bring disgrace upon our king, he will try to do it. To make it look like Jesus can't take care of his sheep. To make him look weak and foolish and incompetent. Which is what happens when you and I claim to be servants saved by the most powerful king in all the universe who has overcome sin and death and yet we can't seem to overpower the temptation to look at pornography day after day after day. It's disgraceful. Or we can't overcome the temptation to lie to our parents again and again. Or to cheat on your paperwork. Or to worry all day once again. And we comfort ourselves after we've committed that sin again that no one's going to catch us. There weren't any consequences the first hundred times we did it. Satan is so smart. He waits. He bides his time. He will make you feel secure and at just the right moment at the, when it will bring the most disgrace to Jesus Christ, that's when he'll gouge out the eye. So friends, what do we do? Where do we turn? When we realize the true wages of our sin, what's waiting for us, What do we do? Well, what did the men of Jabesh do whenever they realized the cost of this covenant they were about to enter into with the serpent? Verse 3. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days respite that we may send messengers throughout all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. The elders of Jabesh confessed their need of a Savior. That's what they did. They sent messengers announcing it far and wide. We need a Savior. Number one, confess. 
confess. They sent a message. Jabesh cannot save himself. We need a savior. They told the truth about themselves and their predicament and their sin. They didn't seem to have much hope for a savior. Well, they said, at least give us a week to search and see if there might be someone out there who can save us. They at least had the wherewithal and the humility to confess the truth about themselves. They needed someone to come and save them. Why don't people want to tell their sin? Why don't they want to say it out loud? The ways that they've fallen into temptation and to say the truth. I can't save myself. I need a Savior. Well, either, number one, you think you can save yourself and you're living in this delusion. Or secondly, you don't think there's anything you need to be saved from. To those who think you can save yourself, I just my question is, how is that going for you? That sin that, that you seem to keep falling into hundreds, thousands of times, how's it going? You're overcoming it, right? In your might, your own power, you're able to overcome that sin. At least in your own heart, be honest to yourself. Does the guilt ever really go away? Are you experiencing victory? Or have you maybe just lowered your standard for victory? <laughs> well, I haven't committed that sin in a week. Oh good, so you're telling me you experience 52 defeats a year. Is that victory to you? We got some baseball players back there. That sound like victory? So either you think you can save yourself or you don't think that there's anything you need to be saved from. But the Bible tells us that after we die, every single thing that we have done, every word we've said, every thought that we have thought is going to be laid bare before the judgment seat of God. And anything that does not measure up to His standard will be punished forever in the fires of His wrath. So nobody here this morning can say there's nothing they need to be saved from. Tell the truth about your sin. Cry out for a Savior. Don't keep it hidden. Number one, confess. Now, the men of Jabesh set an example for us in confession, but they don't really have much faith that a Savior is going to come for them. But our second point is believe. After confess, believe. Look at verse 4. Chapter 11, verse 4. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What's wrong with the people that they're weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. So Saul, empowered by the Spirit, takes his yoke of oxen, he chops them into twelve pieces, he sends them all throughout Israel. He says, you better, you better come. We need to fight. We need to save our brothers. And this massive army swells around King Saul. 300,000 soldiers, we're told. Verse 9. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you save the men of Jabesh-Gilead. Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have deliverance or salvation. When the messengers came and told 
the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will have salvation. And the men were glad. Why? Because they believed. They believed it. Number two, believe. Friends, let me tell you about our king. When the Lord Jesus was about to face the greatest enemy in all of history, death itself, he was not surrounded by an army filled with 300,000 soldiers as he was being arrested. In fact, one of his disciples tried to raise a sword and Jesus said, put your sword back in its place. Don't you think I can appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But guess what? He didn't. And in fact, all 12 of his disciples abandoned him that night. Jesus marched alone that Thursday evening into battle. And yet even then we can hear the echoes of 1 Samuel chapter 11 over that scene. Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will have your salvation. By noonday that Friday, the whole world lifted their eyes. And what did they see? Not a king riding in on his wild white stallion led by, leading 300,000 men into battle. We see a lone man hanging on a tree. And over his head the inscription, King of the Jews. The promise was coming true. Your salvation. Is here. From the powers of darkness, from slavery to sin, from the wages of sin, which is death, we find our Savior not in the man Saul, but in our Savior Jesus Christ, who hung on a cross alone and alone overpowered the greatest enemy of all of us. Where he died in our place, where he took sin upon our, himself, where he disarmed the rulers, every Nahash. Who would ever come against us? Put to shame. Put them to open disgrace because as he absorbed their worst and they killed him and they put him in a grave. He just came right back out on Sunday morning. Friends, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the promise of scripture from start to finish. Make him your king. This man, Jesus who has the power over sin and death. This man who puts his foot on the head of the serpent, make him your king. Believe that when he says, you will have salvation in my name, that it will happen. That in fact it has already happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. Confess. Believe. But there's more to the story because, you see, when the men of Jabesh received the news... Their course of action changed. Look at verse 10. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, they're speaking back to the Ammonites, tomorrow we'll give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. Verse 11. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, uh, morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. What happened? They tricked the Ammonites. They said, we're going give to give ourselves up. You know we're a bunch of cowards. We're just going to give ourselves up to you. And the Ammonites, 
They partied all night. They didn't expect any kind of battle the next day. But what did they find when they woke up? Saul and all the army wiping them out. How did the men of Jabesh experience victory against the Ammonites? They did the exact opposite of what their king Nahash expected. He expected them to give in. He expected them to be cowards. He expected them to accept another defeat. Because that's what they'd done before. But when they believed in their Savior, they turned and fought. Number three, repent. Turn and fight. Brothers and sisters, do you want to know how you can catch the serpent off guard? Do the one thing that he doesn't expect sinners to do. Turn and fight. Repent. Turn from your sin and actually fight the temptation. Many Christians today think of repentance as some kind of, you know, let go and let God. But this passage shows us repentance is a fight. It's a battle. It's a turning away from how we used to be. And now belief has given us a new spirit to fight these battles. It means leaving behind any intentions you once had of becoming a slave of sin and now fighting in the power of your king. It's the last thing the serpent expects you to do. Because for hundreds, some of us even thousands of times, we've given in every time he's brought temptation. And so when he comes tempting us, what does he expect us to do? To give in again. The last thing he expects us to do is turn and fight. Today is the day. Now is the time to repent. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't say, I'll just give in one more time and I'll fight the battle tomorrow. Repent. Turn from your sin and fight. If you've believed in Jesus as your Savior and King, the Bible makes it abundantly plain that Jesus has put His Spirit inside of you. The same Spirit that we're told, 1 Samuel chapter 11, overcame Nahash and all the Ammonites and sent them fleeing in a thousand directions. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that Sunday morning is the Spirit that's in you today. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So then, brothers, Paul says, we are, not, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. That is what we're talking about. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear. No, no. We have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Let us all then turn and fight if that's the spirit that's in us. A spirit that gives us victory on the battlefield. By the spirit, Paul says, put to death the deeds of the body. Let's turn and fight. Number three, 
Repent. We can have victory over sin today. Confess, believe, repent, and finally our story leaves us with hope. Listen to verse 12. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said Saul shall reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, verse 14, Come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Samuel invites the people to a very familiar place, a place called Gilgal. It's a, it's a place that gets its name in the book of Joshua when the people of Israel first crossed through the Jordan River. And as they pass through uh, from the east side of the Jordan into the west side, their first time setting foot in the Promised Land, Joshua sends some of the men back into the Jordan River, which God had parted for them to come through on dry land. And he says, grab 12 stones and we're going to make a monument here to what the Lord has done in bringing us through. And uh, the Lord gives that place the name Gilgal, which means, today I have rolled away the disgrace from you. That's what the word Gilgal means. It means roll away. It's actually a word for wheel. God named this place because it's the place where God rolls away the disgrace of his people. Friends, in this new kingdom, we believe the impossible has happened. That that disgrace we talked about at the beginning, all that guilt and shame, that no matter what kind of accusation Satan brings against us, guess what? None of it sticks. Because as sure as the stone has been rolled away from the grave, we, brothers and sisters, stand justified before God and we have hope that when we stand on the day of judgment, we will hear the words, well done. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The reproach has been rolled away. You may be here today and you say, I, I confess that I need a Savior. I believe in Jesus. I, I'm trying to repent of my sin. Well, guess what? The first step of hope for every believer is to pass through the waters. That's what baptism is all about. A thousand years later, that same place, a man named John would come baptizing in the Jordan River and a king would appear. Jesus. And all repentant sinners around him come to be baptized into that same kingdom hope. This belief that one day Jesus is going to come back and we are going to rejoice with him and all the reproach will be rolled away. We go to Gilgal and we proclaim the reproach has been rolled away. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I hope that one day the same Jesus who was raised from the dead will raise me from the dead to live with Him forevermore. I have been buried, therefore, in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Come, Samuel says. Let us go to Gilgal. And there we will renew the kingdom. Let's pray.
Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who live the gospel story week after week, confessing, believing, repenting, and hoping. Lord Jesus, we follow you as our King. I pray if there's anyone here who's never been baptized, who's never experienced that hope, that the disgrace can be washed away, can be rolled away, that they would find that hope trusting in you as their Savior. Lord, we pray for each of my brothers and sisters this morning that they would experience victory as they repent, as they turn and fight temptation. And that as we gather next week, we would have story after story of great victory against the sin in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.